so there was some murder on the loose and the police said oh look it's probably okay for you to go out you got a gun and I thought oh goodness this isn't for us. Welcome to the rocks beneath our feet. In this series five geologists talk about their years devoted to working for the Geological Survey of Western Australia from understanding early life to the tectonic processes that shaped our planet and making the maps that unearth our understanding of Western Australia's geology. They reveal their shared passion for discovering the stories in the rocks beneath our feet. I'm Julie Hollis. From cyclones to psychopaths, in this episode, Tim Griffin relates some of his more extreme experiences of GSWA fieldwork. First up, Tim talks about Cyclone Bobby, a Category 4 cyclone that hit Western Australia in February 1995. Cyclone Bobby was a cyclone that came through the Pilbara and it was a massive cyclone disrupted the offshore petroleum activity and the mining activity in the Pilbara and it came down into the northern goldfields. We were up there east of Laverton and I was running a bit of an introductory tour for some new geologists so there were four or five vehicles travelling in convoy and one night it started to rain and it rained and rained and we put up a big tarp between the vehicles and uh, managed to stay dry but it just kept raining and raining and of course we woke up the next morning and all the roads were flooded and boggy. Mm. We wondered how we're going to get out of there. One of our geologists was an orienteering Roganing type guy and he used to go for a run in the morning Yeah. and so we said well can you check this track and check that track because it doesn't look we'll get out in a certain direction. So we worked out the best way to get out of there, but in the process we had all vehicles bogged and took you know, hours and hours to unbog them and get out. Mm. We finally got down to Laverton and booked into the caravan park to dry out and sort of wondered what we could do. And then we found out that all the roads out of there from Leonora down north and south were all blocked. You couldn't get it in or out because right. what had happened, there'd been so much rain that it filled up the extensive lake system in the goldfields and the lakes had actually done what had been predicted would happen from some early geological work, that these were actually part of an ancient drainage system. Oh, yeah. And so the water started to flow out of the lakes and flow to the south or southeast and it took out the trans line and it actually stopped vehicles on the air highway. Wow. So people were stuck as the water flowed south. And I think most of it ended up flowing into the ground, into the cave system. I don't think anything actually got into the, the ocean because there's extensive cave systems along the Nullarbor there. Huh. Anyway, what we had to do, we could drive from Laverton to Leonora and we left our vehicles in a government yard and chartered a plane out, and I think it was three or four months before we came back to get our vehicles and all our gear. Wow. (laughs) That was Cyclone Bobby. Yeah. Later the same year, in March 1995, the cult movement Aum Shinrikyo perpetrated a sarin gas attack on the Tokyo subway, killing more than a dozen and injuring five and a half thousand people. The sarin gas attack in Tokyo subway, I don't know whether you're familiar with that, Yeah, I am, and I'm intrigued as to how this relates to your (laughs) fieldwork. Relates to the goldfields, Eastern Goldfields fieldwork. Well, I was actually supervising at the time, and it happened in 20th of March 1995, where there was an attack on the subway, Yeah, and there were 13 deaths and 5,500 people injured. Mm. And so this was a really, you know, quite an unusual thing and, and attracted a lot of international publicity. Yeah. 
as it turned out, the people responsible actually leased a sheep station in the northern goldfields called Banjua. And some months later, they realised this, that there was a connection between what they were doing there, and so they did a raid on Banjua. But prior to this, I'd been up there mapping, and often the best outcrop was in the back blocks of a pastoral lease Mm. because it was difficult to access. So the road access in the house was in the easy areas where there's probably less rocks and hills and difficult terrain. Right. And so I would often, the way I'd work, I would start mapping quite systematically and come in the front gate, talk to the people, and then I'd work back up through their block and then I'd go through their back fence, often have to put it down because there were no gates with their neighbour at the back or the other side, and then work that and then go down and come out through the homestead and the front gate of the adjacent property. Yeah. And I'd generally try and contact people and do this, but occasionally I was unable to do it and I'd go through and do it anyway and I had no problems. They were a bit worried when they see you coming down from the back hills, but once you explained, it was, they were quite intrigued. Mm. Anyway, so I did this and I came down and as we're coming close to the Banjuan homestead, there was a big pit with some dead sheep in it, which is not unusual. You know, I've been in the Kimberley where there have been mobs of dead cattle that have been shot for brucellosis. Anyway, I went to the homestead and knocked on the door. But as I went there, I looked at the shed and there was strange writing and I thought it might be Japanese writing on the shed. Mm. And there was a Japanese lady came out who didn't speak any English or didn't admit to it. And so we had a conversation which didn't achieve anything at all and I drove out the front gate, <laughs> didn't think much more of it, just thought, oh, that's a bit odd. Yeah. Anyway, some months later, it was the next year, it was sometime after that attack in March, we were driving down the road past Bandiwan and came to the gate and there were police cars and everywhere <laughs> and they were doing a raid on, on Bandiwan homes. Wow. And it turns out they were importing chemicals and taking up to there and apparently testing for the sarin gas. Wow. So, there you go. <laughs> Sounds like you might have had a slightly close call there. A few years earlier, in 1987, Tim had another disturbing experience while on fieldwork, this time in the Kimberley. There were some news bulletins coming out of Northern Territory where there was a person shooting at Buffalo heading up towards Darwin. And then the next thing we hear is that some people have been killed at Victoria River in the Northern Territory just across the border from Western Australia. So there was some murder on the loose. Before they really got going, this person had killed some more people on the Pentecost River in the Kimberley, west of Kununurra. And so Northern Australia went into a lockdown, particularly the Kimberley. And we were up there doing field work at the time. And I don't know whether we heard and went into town, but we were in town and we decided we wouldn't move out of town while this person was in the bush, potentially. Yep. What was worrying to us is that it was two or three days, so the person could have driven virtually anywhere in Australia by this time. Yeah. And so they were looking for a particular vehicle, which was a white utility with a canvas back. Now, the geological survey vehicles were white utilities with canvas backs. And one of our geologists way down south in the Murchison 
was pulled over by the police and, <laughs> and checked and they said, can we have a look in the back? And so I opened the back and stand back and they said, oh, what's that box up there? It's got a padlock on it because there's a box on top of the spare fuel tank which we put gear in and so things don't get stolen. He said, oh, I'll jump in and open it. No, you don't. No, where's the key? And they thought it might have been guns anyway. They realised there were guns in there. So... Um, yeah, it was pretty serious at the time. Yeah. But it dragged on for several days and we were um, checking with the police on a regular basis to see what they did. And they said, oh, look, it's been a while now. Look, it's probably okay for you to go out. if you, You're working up in the back blocks, aren't you? Yeah, well, that'll be all right. Stay up in the back blocks. Have you got a gun? And I thought, oh, goodness, this isn't, isn't for us. <laughs> and I don't want to go to the back blocks because the recommendation was for the station owners to move up into their outstations or a camp that they've got up in the back blocks and take some guns up there and, God. and stay up there so that the, the person, they're not exposed to this person. And just imagine us driving up there unannounced. Oh, so, God, you know, white utility vehicle with a canvas back. <laughs> so we decided that wasn't a very good... So we, we didn't do that, but um, it wasn't long before we heard that they'd identified a potential person and they found this person near Fitzroy Crossing. Mm. He fired at the police and was shot and killed. Yeah. So that was the uh, German gunman Schwab, uh, Joseph Schwab. Pretty scary story. Yeah, it was quite a story at the time. You've been listening to The Rocks Beneath Our Feet. You can discover more about GSWA by visiting dmp.wa.gov.au forward slash GSWA or find GSWA on LinkedIn and Facebook. If you like what you've heard, give them a follow.